my last day of work when I turned in my grades and I knew I didn't have to talk to this manager anymore, I was so happy. I was shockingly joyful. Welcome back, everybody, to the Career Therapy Podcast. We have another episode of Life After Layoff. My name is Martin McGovern, and I'm incredibly excited to welcome Andy Bosnack. I hope I pronounced that right. Hi, Martin. How's yes, it going? Bosnack. Awesome. Hi, Martin. How are you? I'm excited to be here with you. <laughs> Thanks, man. And uh, Andy is a podcast audio editor at MRAP Inc., Mixer Sound Film and Collaborator. And I just want to say, Andy, thank you so much for joining us. We'll open it up how we always do. Tell us about yourself. Well, Martin, I'm 51. I'm a proud father. I'm actually a proud grandfather. I was always a rock and roller when I was a kid. Um, And so now I've been shocked about how wonderful it is to be a grandfather. I grew up in the 80s. I grew up in the time of the real guitar heroes. Nice. And I loved Van Halen and Iron Maiden and Ozzy Osbourne and all those um, rock guitar hero bands. And I wanted to grow up and be like those guitarists. And I would listen to my Walkman headphones. I'd listen to their concerts and I'd sit up in bed and like air guitar. And I'd have my Walkman up so loud, like my dad would actually like bang on my door and make me turn off because I was waking him up across the house. When I would hear that stuff and sit up an air guitar, I was just knew I wanted to make art that would move other people. Whether that was cool guitar harmonies or podcasts or films. So I ended up playing in bands and then I ended up producing a lot of bands and recording studios and then moved on to other things like mixing and editing films and podcasts. That's awesome. So what's really important to me is sharing emotions and art. Well, hopefully we'll share some emotions and art here today. Um, I'm really excited that uh, you're you know, going to come on and share with us some of your experiences. Because I think, you know, as we've been rolling out this Life After Layoff series, I think it's great to hear about different perspectives, different industries, and, and all the different stuff that goes into it. Because everyone's experience is just slightly different, but there's a lot of commonalities between them too. Um, tell us a little bit about, you know, your career as you went down this path of creating art and emotional uh, experiences. What what sort of jobs did that lead you to throughout your career? So the way I got to this job was um, I had had kids and got divorced. Everything was amicable, um, but I knew I wanted to pursue the art more. So finally, when I was 27, I went to recording school. In 1997, I went to recording school in Arizona and then went and did internships and put in a lot of time with learning how to record music and mix music. And I loved it. I moved to Chicago and got to work with some really cool producers, some really big names. I got to work with some of my heroes. I used to love this rock band Hum. And my boss, my studio bosses were friends with them. And uh, the musicians from those bands would come in and I would work with them. And I'd look in the studio and say, I, I'm... I used to sit in Kansas and like dream about working with these people and I've made it happen. So I had my dream job. I wasn't making a lot of money, but I was working at studios. I was recording cool bands. I liked my life. Um, The music industry really changed. So while my business slowed down some, I started teaching recording and mixing Hmm. in 2006. 
So I had a good nine or 10 years of just full-time studio work and then moved to like half-time studio work and half-time teaching in um, like small vocational schools. So I got to work with some wonderful young motivated musicians and recording engineers. It was really cool to pass along my knowledge to other people who were like me. It's like this student is like me, but they haven't done it as much as I have. So I thought transferring that knowledge of making the best message, making a loud, clear message in art, transferring that knowledge from myself to other students was really rewarding. I got more interested in film sound. I got to do, I was the co-writer of a score for an A&E feature documentary. This was one of the first true crime documentaries on A&E. And so my friend and I literally just sat in a studio for 21 straight days and made this score for this A&E crime film. And I loved that. I loved seeing how music went with storytelling, how music went with film. I was really interested in how music went with other art forms. So I went to film school. I went to DePaul University uh, School of Cinema. And at Nepal, I studied cinema sound. I loved that. I got more into cinema directing. So I ended up getting my MFA in cinema directing at DePaul. While I was a student at Nepal, I was still working with a little bit, I was still working with some musicians. So I'm a grad student at Nepal. I'm working with some musicians and I see a job at a career college, come teach recording mixing. Like this job at this career college is what I've been doing. And it looks a little bit more professional. This looks a little bit more legitimate. They might be more organized. This might be a really good teaching position for me. I went there and some of my other friends had just started working there right before me. One of my friends from one of the vocational schools was the department chair. So I'm with my people. I'm with my studio people. We're teaching. They have a good business plan and they're getting all these students in and it's really rewarding. I can work half time and go to grad school. So I'm all set, right? Yeah. So it was a good situation. I was hired to make lesson plans that got distributed nationally. We were the flagship campus. So at our flagship campus, myself and my coworkers were making the curriculum to get distributed nationally. And we're having fun. That was two, September 2013. Um, so after like recording bands, what's that? I feel like I'm hearing a butt coming. <laughs> right? So after recording bands, teaching some, and getting into grad school, I, I was happy to be teaching at this place. It was the perfect job for a grad student. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of what I did since 1997 to get to my teaching job. Let's, let's bring it on into the, the meat and potatoes of the conversation here. And so there was a role that you had um, that... I'd love to hear a little bit more about how did you get into the role um, that you eventually uh, were laid off from? What was that experience of getting into that role? I think a lot of times when we take a job, we expect one thing. And when we're in the job, we get something completely different. So I'm kind of curious, like what was that, maybe the story in your head or the promise that you got or whatever it might have been, um, what was that experience like for you? Right. So after I had been teaching 
signal flow, the basics of recording and mixing. I had been there a year or two, and their audio post-production teacher just left one day. No notice. He just stopped teaching the class. So the department chair said, hey, we know you're in film. Can you teach this sound for film class? And I said, heck yes. That's what I'm focusing on now. Put me in. So the department chair put in myself and one of my other coworkers. We kind of split the post-production class. After half a semester, my manager said, hey, let's have you teach all of these post-production classes. So it was wonderful. I was directing films. I was directing student films at DePaul and I was teaching post-production audio and a little bit of recording music at the Career College. One day I showed up and the national audio director was just gone. He was the guy who originally hired me. No word, all of a sudden, all of a sudden Bill's gone. So I sent him a message a couple days later and he said, yeah, he's moving on. And things were okay. He had made a good landing. About six months later, the campus director, James, was gone one day. So I noticed there was a revolving door of leadership. I would show up to work and with no notice, the campus director was gone. And this is like the dean of the campus. This is the highest level at our location. What was the reason? I don't know. If there was a problem with James, wouldn't they have talked to James about, hey, here are the problems. <clears throat> Excuse me. Here are the problems. Let's talk about solutions. So the campus director, James, was gone. And then there was no campus director for a while. The next week I come in and the audio department chair was gone. So now I've seen three top level managers just disappear with no warning. They had all been terminated and none of us saw that coming. So if there was a problem, there was never a, a problem and a conversation about solutions out mm -hmm. in the open. But myself and a couple other teachers and one of the key salespeople had been there since the campus opened. So we're like, hey, our students are wonderful. We get these students from Chicago. They come in from diverse neighborhoods, diverse backgrounds, diverse interests in music and audio. And we're putting the same care into making these classes that you know we always cared about making our art and our mixes. We're putting that same care into teaching these students and creating these classes. So it was really rewarding to work with my colleagues, my studio buddies, and think about how we would want to be educated and pass along education to these people at our campus. Finally, a new director of education was hired and she seemed like a really positive person, uh, really energetic. So we're starting to get some management back. We get a campus director who is pretty interesting and this campus director would pretty much hide in his office all the time. And we didn't know what he was doing. And we don't think he knew what we were doing. He would never attended classes. Mm -hmm. So all of our other managers would walk by our classes and look in the window. They would come and sit in our classes. They knew what we were doing and the communication was open. This new campus director just told us, all I care about is money. There are money problems here. All I care about is money. So that's fine. Let's get so the money. So how did that there. change the culture? How did that change the dynamics of the team? It seemed like any problems with resources, we needed a lot of 
AV resources. So you can imagine we have nine recording studios at this place and we have about six classrooms that have heavy duty AV resources. So not just computers, but computers with Pro Tools, computers with, you know, the Adobe Premiere, video editing, audio editing, projectors, uh, classrooms with a lot of computers for students to use to make their projects. And it adds up. I would make, yeah, I'd make repeated requests about, hey, this, uh, the teacher gear in the theater where I teach, it's not working. I need these updates. I need a new computer. Well, we don't know if that's in the budget. Okay, I'll do my best, but it's really hard to teach class without the working software and the working computer that I yeah. need to show the students. So what I did was I started taking the students in, I'd take half the class and take them to a studio and show them this week's new tasks. So I would take like 10 people to the studio and show them tasks and tell the other 10 students, hey, work on your homework. We'll be back in half an hour and you'll go to the studio. One day I was in the studio with some students and one of my female students came up crying. She's like, Andy, I'm sorry, I have to go. I'm like, what's wrong? She's like, I, I just have to go. So I walked out with her and got the tech to make sure she could leave safely and like get to public transportation or get a ride. What I learned later was some 17 year old male students were making fun of uh, some female trauma. And this woman had experienced that and could not sit there and listen to it. So when I didn't have the resources, my solution was to take half the students to one room and show them what I needed. And that resulted in just one student being so upset she had to leave. Um, That's really tough. I told the, yeah, I told the campus director, hey, these 17 year olds are, they're doing things that are really appropriate. If they're here and they're motivated, that's great. But this behavior needs to change for them to stay here or could they get transferred to another, another class and get away from her? Nothing was done about that problem. Uh, the managers didn't do anything about that. So this girl quit, this female student quit school and these 17 year olds proceeded through. And then I started to catch them cheating. I would go through and grade their assignments and I would see the exact same file names and I'd listen to their mixes and it was the exact same file. Um, and I would say, hey, y'all was, you know, these are the same files, was there a problem? And they're like, no, you know, you better give me an A, like we are not cheating. I'm like. I'm just asking you questions. Mm -hmm. So there started to be an overwhelming thing of just get as many students in as we can. If they cause problems, as long as they're paying money, it's okay. And when the teachers would present problems, there wouldn't be any solutions. And that got worse and worse and worse with the new management. Um, so that was the real struggle. There was ended up being significant cheating I got threatened physically several times. Um, so yeah, it became the new, the new management and the new business plans. The entire place became very challenging. And I saw my friends just quit one by one. 
it's incredibly challenging, especially as you're losing your support system too. Um, yeah. You know, friend after friend. So it's, it's just a slow kind of, you know, bit by bit resources go away. Behaviors start to get a little bit toxic. Um, you know, there's no accountability being put into place and it kind of starts this snowball. And, and so where did it kind of hit its momentum uh, in your experience? And when did the, how did that layoff kind of come to be? Sure. Um, So about a year, year and a half ago, one of our coworkers became department chair. So we're like, wonderful. This person is an audio person like us. They studied music and film and sound. So when we have issues, we can go talk to our department chair, our immediate supervisor, and they'll you know, go advocate for us and work on solving problems, getting us the resources we need, which will improve student relations. This whole thing's going to be better. And we started our first meetings and he just showed up and like kind of read, you could see him like reading off a sheet of like the corporate outline and that's fine. Do the job your boss tells you. But along with that, the manager wasn't listening to the teachers anymore. And we'd say, hey, there are these problems and we have these three ideas. Could we talk about, could any of these three ideas be solutions we could work on together? Well, no, we can't do any of those because of this, that, and this. Okay, so we'll move on and deal with that next semester. Here's this other problem. We have these three or four ideas for solutions. A lot of kick in the can down the road. Yeah, so we're, you know, low budget artists, We like collaborating and troubleshooting, getting problems and solving problems. Those are things we actually enjoyed, like how to move forward with limitations. And we're just getting stopped. The pandemic hits and we all worry about enrollments and how many classes will be out there. I'd been there six and a half years and I had taught almost every class at this place. And my boss calls me the last couple weeks of the semester. My boss calls me around March 24th. About a month after everybody had started sheltering in place, the director of education kept calling me and asking me if I would do classes in person. I'm like, no, there's, there's no need to do that. And it's, it's generally accepted it's not safe to be around people. I, I don't think everyone needs to get on the CTA and go sit in a studio together to like do a mixing class. We're going to do the class online. I think, isn't that safer? Okay, that's fine. And she asked me this several times. Can I come do classes in person? I'm like, no, I don't think that's safe. And no one else thinks it's safe either. So the concerns kept coming in. It's like, right, do you care if we all get sick? I got really concerned then. And then my boss, um, my manager called and said enrollment was low. They're going to change the classes. The classes that I was teaching won't be offered for a few months. I'm like, okay. And he said, so we don't have any classes for you. I'm like, but I can teach all those other classes. Mm-hmm. No, you're not qualified for that. I'm like, but I've taught them for like five or six years. So it, the whole thing didn't make sense. I'm like, can we talk about qualifications? I said, I've been an audio professional for 23 years. I've been an audio teaching professional for 14 years. You, 
I've been qualified to teach those classes before, so why would I get laid off now? And then he just wouldn't have the conversation and said, let's have a strong finish to this semester. Mm-hmm. I'm like, yeah, I will have a strong finish to this semester. Um, Kudos to you for finishing strong. So what? Kudos to yeah. you for actually finishing strong. So it really threw me off that this place that had these progressing problems that I kept weathering, that all of a sudden just I shouldn't be there. So I was really confused and yeah, hurt by that. The odd thing is a couple weeks later, I turned in my grades and I had to call that boss who fired me. I had to call him to present my grades. Oh, wow. So like they were, yeah, that was fun. So I had the privilege of calling the person who fired me, presenting my final grades. And there was one student who had a 52%. And my boss said, well, can that student pass? And I said, well, 52% isn't passing. Well, you don't know what problems this person had with their computer or internet. I'm like, you're right. I don't know. And I sent them two emails a week and sat them down and talked to them when we did classes in person and said, hey, just show up and do the work. I'll help you. Other students will help you. Tutors will help you. You can pass the class if you do the work. And the student didn't communicate and just failed. And they were asking me to pass them. And I think it was so they could keep getting tuition money instead of seeing students flunk. Yeah, you were telling me uh, in in our pre-conversation about some of the maybe a little bit more predatory sides of, of the education industry and how it can sometimes get a little bit, you know, mm-hmm. a little bit iffy, let's just say. Um, and that, that's a clear example. And so it almost sounds like there's this kind of steady, steady decline in quality, steady decline in budget, steady decline in resources in accountability, and then even communication at the end. Um, when you, when, when, when that day came and, you know, you, you're, 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 you're finishing that conversation, you're having your last day and you get home and you're no longer dealing with this company. What was, what was that day like? The biggest shock I've ever had, as soon as I got off the phone with my manager, I took a walk, overwhelming joy like I haven't experienced for three years. I remember graduating with my MFA and how happy I was when I finished my MFA thesis. And then my last day of work, when I turned in my grades and I knew I didn't have to talk to this manager anymore, I was so happy. I was shockingly joyful. I hadn't been that happy in so long. I felt so free. And I had been committed to this place for six and a half years. I'm just like, I'm free. I can just work on sound. I don't have to be bullied anymore. I'm by nature a friendly, caring, helpful listener. And these people just kept bullying me. And I don't have to deal with that anymore. I was so happy. Such a wonderful moment. Such a wonderful moment. And I think like... It's interesting to to talk about, you know, an employment experience over time and how it can slowly change and morph. I think a lot of times when we're in a career, we kind of think, oh, I'm going to get that job and then it's going to just be that job forever and it'll never change. And people change, roles change, companies change. 
and and that slow i appreciate you walking us through that story and just kind of showing how it's like a little bit here and then a little bit here and then i'll put up with that but then now i'm putting up with this and how we almost we commit to one thing which allows them to behave in other ways and and it's interesting how um you know your story kind of shows how a let's just call it a toxic environment can evolve and you know sometimes people get asked the question like well why didn't you leave sooner it's like well it it's like death by a thousand cuts right you don't even notice how bad it is when you're in it um all the time because you know every moment of every day you're just heads down working and then it's just like red flag and then red flag and uh so kudos to you and and i appreciate you sharing that experience of that that next day because i think sometimes even when you're in a toxic environment being laid off can still be that really hurtful, painful experience, even though on the whole, it's probably a wonderful moment <laughs> looking back retrospectively. Yeah. Have you heard these kinds of stories before, Martin? I've heard, heard similar progressions. I've heard all sorts of different stories as a coach. You know, I mean, I've even been part of some, been been in roles that have been somewhat on the toxic side, maybe not too uh, all the experiences that you've had. But I think that, um, you know, there is, you know, I come from the advertising world and the advertising world is quite, uh, quite, uh, let's just say liquid in their, in their partying. And, and that can cause a lot of issues in people's professional and personal lives. And, and I've been part of, you know, environments that have, you know, been the exact opposite been like really wonderful corporate, you know, seemingly buttoned up and everything like that. But I do think that when I talk with folks, you know, I've, I've talked with folks who have been just every day they go in and they get berated by their boss. And, and um, I think one of the interesting things, and, and this comes down to the idea of empathy uh, when, when we're going through an experience, like, first of all, we have to take care of ourselves and we have to have empathy for ourselves and we have to, you know, have, strength for ourselves to stand up for ourselves but then we also have to kind of realize that a lot of times the stuff that's being dropped on us and the emotions that are being thrown upon thrust upon us from other people are not really even about us at the end of the day like this person's in pain too this person has a boss that might be pressuring them too and uh and like, you know, even in the work I do now, like every once in a while, I'll get like really frustrated and I'll be like, you know what, that, that person's putting the pressure on me. I'm probably putting the pressure on someone else and two steps above them, someone was like, just forgot a deadline or something. And, and I try to always take that step back approach in order to be able to continue to have empathy in these moments. And you know, I say I try, I wouldn't say I'm always successful. You know, I, there's still some people I'm like, you know, I'm glad that they got fired. <laughs> but, but, you know, there's, there's all sorts of different experiences that we all that we go through in our careers and that we also experience, uh, or, or, you know, people we know go through in their careers. I, I definitely have, um, have a lot of stories I can tell about folks I know who worked in the legal field and the difficulties of that. I think that's a tough one for folks. And um, yeah, it's, and especially something like, um, something like gaslighting that came up recently in a conversation um, where companies will, or employers or managers will, will say that they told you to do something that they never told you to do, 
and the, and like make you almost think like you're going crazy because you're like uh, I literally you've never told me that that was a requirement and they're like I said that yesterday and this there seems to be maybe like um I don't think it's a growing trend but it's a growing conversation around the idea of managerial and workplace gaslighting that I think is is a uh, is definitely worth talking about because I don't think people know what's happening when it's happening. It's only when you look back on a job, you can be like, Oh wow, that was crazy. They really made me feel like I was insane. Yeah. I still believe in education. I've spent a lot of years in college myself. I still believe people teaching other people things, you know, in person or via zoom or whatever. I still believe in that. I'm worried about how capitalist approaches have really affected education here. So yeah, I w teaching was my bread and butter. And um, when I, I'm working part-time now, I have wonderful projects, editing podcasts and mixing films, but it's not enough to get by. So I'm worried about my bread and butter. And I'm wondering like, you know, do I go back to education and, and I apply for some bigger media company jobs and I haven't I haven't got hired for those because it's so competitive now mm. and I was in education so long the my manager at the career college actually called me two weeks ago when I was dealing uh, my family I had some pretty serious health issues that got resolved Glad uh, but it was really it, it's okay it got worked out but it got really stressful and I said hey this is going on. Can I please talk to you Tuesday? She's like, I have to know by Monday at noon. We're offering you this class. And so I, I picked up the phone. The same said, school? The same school that? Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. So I picked up the phone and they said, well, we have this one class. I'm like, look, I would be happy to do it if you can tell me what the pay is and how is the pay related to my experience in education? He's like, I don't know. I'm like, well... If you can get me that information, we can talk about it. Could HR help you? He's like, I don't know. I have to know right now. I'm like, have someone get me the information. I'll, I'd be happy. That's to amazing. It, it really does amaze me that uh, companies have incredibly high standards for what they expect from job seekers. And when a job seeker is like, well, I need more information to make a clear decision that <laughs> they're like, no, 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 we, we can't, we can't do that. It, 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 I actually was in a position similar to that where I was on the phone with a company and they were like, Hey, we want to offer you the job. And I go, Oh, okay. Uh, what are the terms and everything? They're like, here's some terms. And they're like, do you accept? And I was like, it is 6 PM on a Friday. I'm at a happy hour. <laughs> I'm like, um, well, send over the, you know, send over the, uh, the, the offer and I'd be happy to take a look. And they go, no, we can't send over the offer unless you verbally accept. And I go, then I accept. And they go, okay, great. We'll see you on this date and we'll send over the offer. And I go, we're not done negotiating here. Uh, so I get the offer and I look at it and I try to negotiate and they're like, oh no, there's no room to negotiate. And I go, then I guess I rescind my acceptance. Like, I'm not, I'm not quite sure. Like, this is a company that took four months to interview and give me an offer, but they can't wait two days. 
or, or even negotiate the salary. It is quite amazing. And, and I won't say this is all companies, right? There are a lot of companies that do their very best and have structures in place. And most of the time, and hell, even in this time, I would say, I'm going to try and have empathy for that person who's sending me that and having that call because someone told them to do that. But I think a lot of times decisions are just kind of made at a, on a, t- at a table in a boardroom somewhere. And then you've got a whole lot of people who are not equipped scrambling to, to, to adapt. And so, um, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting and it's interesting to talk to you because you're still kind of in the midst of it, right? They're still reaching out. You're still finding, you know, where to take things next. And, you know, as folks are hearing this and, and hearing about your journey, um, what, what are some of the places that may, they might be able to find your work or, or work with you if they wanted help maybe producing a podcast or doing something in the audio world? Because there are so many more people going online and creating content these days. Yeah, so I have my portfolio on Vimeo. Um, so unfortunately, I haven't made my Andy Bosnick website yet. Um, so I have a portfolio on Vimeo. You can find Andy Bosnack on Vimeo. And, and we'll link this in the description as well. Okay. And I can, send, I can send you a link to my Great. portfolio. But yeah, on my portfolio, I have film work that I've done. I have before and after reel. So something I spent time on since I lost my job was making better reels and working on my resume. So I have a before and after reel. I have film reels. My music reel is on there. Um, Some advertising videos I've made. Yeah. So working on my reel, working on my portfolio. The other thing is I'm getting back to just more of this. It's like Andy talking to Martin, Martin talking to Andy. Um, Andy taught, I'm like talking to my friend Joe about his PA installations or talking to my friend Adam about his music, just in-person networking. Like when I was a young record producer, Hey man, I like your band. What's going on with your band? Do you want to do something? Are you guys ready for a project? Do you want to go see the studio? I'm going to go visit some other studios. So just the sincere networking, that's like, really personal and sincere, but also professional. I've become more comfortable with that. And the, that comes through even on LinkedIn. Like I met you, I'm like, well, here's this guy and he's a career professional, but I can tell he gives a care about people. You've said empathy. Yeah, I appreciate that. But I've met you, I've met more than five strangers on LinkedIn. And I'm like, this is a good person. And they just want to talk. And Mark called me today. He's like, can you help me with this file conversion? Like, yeah, I'll help you with file conversion. Like, so you meet some sincere people out there who are actually trying to do cool stuff and actually care about other people or care about business and how it affects the world or capitalist society. So absolutely, I think empathy and sincere networking, that's a big thing everyone can work on. I really appreciate you sharing that, especially because right now, I, I think the pandemic has kind of opened people up to sharing their, I guess, more personal sides, uh, or let's just say they're more hobby sides. Um, whereas LinkedIn used to be so businessy, I'm finding it's kind of evolving to like, I saw someone doing like stop motion magic on LinkedIn yeah. the other day. And like, 
it's definitely growing and evolving. And I think that a lot of folks who are nervous to network, and I used to be in them, sounds like you, you, you've had your ups and downs with networking. It's, uh, mm. There is definitely an authentic way to do it. And I think literally just saying what you do is cool, let's chat, is such a simple outreach, but one that a lot of people won't do. And, and so like my, my edit for folks who are still too afraid to say what you do is cool, let's chat, just say, thanks for making this make more, <laughs> like, like just yeah. support people. That's at least like, you know, support yeah. the things that you like. That's literally what I do. And there are all those templates on LinkedIn where I could say, I could hit a button and it says, congrats, Martin. And then I could look at Martin's post and see 20 congrats, Martin's. Mm-hmm. I'm like, do they really give a care about that? I'm like, Hey, Martin, congratulations. It's cool. You did this project. Thank you for sharing. <laughs> like, that takes me 30 seconds. Yeah. You know what I mean? So like if you're going to, yeah, is it so hard to, is it so hard to write a, a, a comment on a post that, that you have to autofill what LinkedIn tells you to. That's so funny. I, but I think that's that. an attitude on, on what you think is meaningful. Yeah. Do you think a person is meaningful? Do you think a person's work or do you think a person sharing their work? Do you think that's meaningful? And are you going to communicate it that way? Absolutely. And so now as you look forward, what are you most excited for? Like what, what's the thing that's got your brain uh, buzzing? I'm really excited because I think more people are in tune to empathy and combining it with their storytelling like you. Um, so podcasts and storytelling, that's getting, that's growing exponentially racial justice and empathy. Now so many more people in our, you know, entitled capitalist world have suffered together. And so we're happy to listen to more different, different people and different stories. So now I feel like more people are caring and more people are making media about telling a story and caring about listening to a story. And so I'm excited to go work on some cool stories with cool messages and work with some caring people on some cool stories. That's what I'm excited for. I love it. I'm also terrified because everyone else wants to do that too. And so it's hard to say, hey, I'm the one who should be doing, I should be your partner. Get me to do this with you. You know what I mean? But you bring that helpful attitude. And I think that that's what's so key, right? A lot of people, you know, they're just in it for the bucks or something like that. And, um, you know, when you're trying to help people Build cool things, solve cool problems. I think that's where it's at. I do too. I, that's why I'm so excited that you're doing this. Like in a, in a really changing professional world, and a really oh my gosh, our society's changing so much. You're you're really helping people, dude. And you're taking all of those experiences that have just been thrown at you, and you're like funneling them, editing them, and telling people like what you've seen. And that's really helpful to people now. I appreciate that. And I I really do appreciate you joining us today and sharing your story. I think we haven't really explored the creative world as much. And I think it's, it's a tough world. It's a real tough world to navigate. And I think it's important to hear these kinds of things um, and to learn from them. And and so thank you for joining us. Um, I'm excited to hear more about your journey as you keep going. We'll stay in touch 
And uh, everyone will share the links in the description of where you can find Andy. Thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you so much. You should be really proud of this project. It's cool. Take care, Martin. Cheers. Thanks so much for stopping by this episode of the Career Therapy Podcast. It's been a pleasure having you. And if you're curious about what we do here at Career Therapy, head on over to www.careertherapy.com to see all of our coaching options, resources, and links to other things we got going on. If you would like to share your story on this podcast, something that you've gone through, a transition you've experienced in your career, whether it's getting a job after college or going through a layoff or getting back into the workforce after raising your family, we would love to hear from you. Head over to linkedin.com slash in slash Martin McGovern and shoot me a DM. Let me know what's going on and I really like to share your story with the world. What we're trying to do here is really normalize the emotional side of the job search because we all go through it. We all have tough times in our careers and sharing these stories really helps people feel less alone and feel more empowered to take their career back into their own hands and make something of it. So thank you again for stopping by. If you'd like to leave a like or a comment, subscribe or share, or leave us a review on iTunes, and I think maybe even Spotify, we'd really appreciate it. Best of luck to you in all of your career endeavors, and I'll see you on the next episode. Cheers.